morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Are we awake today? Sleepy Sunday morning. My name is Peter Ting. Uh, my wife and I are members here at WSBC. It's a joy to worship with you all this morning. It's a privilege to, to come and teach from the Lord's Word. So today we'll be continuing our study through Luke 12. So the Doomsday Clock was started in 1947. So it started by a group of scientists called the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. And so they created this as a symbol to warn the public about how close we are to the end, doomsday, the day that doom is coming. And so how close we are to the end because of how we're destroying the world with man-made, uh, with a man-made catastrophe caused by our reckless use of dangerous technology or our careless expansion and, and destroying the environment uh, with, with, our, with our technology as well. So if you remember in history, 1945, this was the first incidence of the use of the atomic bomb. So this dangerous new weapon caused concern in the scientific community because there's this potential now for worldwide destruction and mass extinction. And so this metaphorical clock every year is set by the group of scientists and experts in the fields. And so the closer it is to midnight, the closer, the closer it is to midnight, theoretically it means the closer it is that the world is going to end with some major world war or catastrophe. And so just this past year, on January 27th, 2021, they set it at 100 seconds until midnight. That is one minute and 40 seconds so this clock is set at 11.58 and 20 seconds. And they take in factors such as the, the nuclear weapon escalation, different governments and who's in control, climate change, and they even took into account the COVID pandemic. This is the closest that has ever been to midnight since the conception. And now the scientists, again, they create this clock as a symbol to warn the public, to warn world leaders about the impending doom and that it's important for us to take action. We need to take action now and try to turn back the clock. In the history of the doomsday clock, it has been turned back seven times because uh, peace treaties were signed or because actions were done to uh, reduce waste and pollution. And so as grim of an intro this is to us all today, I feel like just as often as we hear philosophers pose the question of, of why am I here? What is life? Still many other philosophers and religions try to solve that question of when will the world end or what happens after death? Many are worried about the end of the world, very much so because we don't know when it's going to happen, what exactly will happen, how do we prepare for it, and lastly as well as the fact that we really don't have much control over it. And so today's scripture also focuses in on the end times. Today's scripture from Luke 12, Jesus discloses about the end of times when he will return, using illustrations and parables as a warning to his disciples, but also to all that hear. This is a warning to us now that we can't do anything to turn back this clock, but we do need to respond rightly to his warning. Today's scripture can be summarized like this. Jesus is returning and until he does, we need to focus on, prepare for, and proclaim about his coming. So Jesus is returning. And until he does, 
we need to focus on, prepare for, and proclaim about his coming. Until he does, we need to focus on, prepare for, and proclaim about his coming. To flesh out today's sermon, I'm going to keep it a little bit simpler. Last time I preached, we had subpoint A, subpoint B. We're just going to have three simple main points today to help flesh out the summary and this package and see how it relates to the summary statement I just said. So the first point is dress up. The second point is mess up. And the third point is fess up. Fess <laughs> is apostrophe F-E-S-S. It's short for confess. As in we confess or we profess the gospel. So dress up, mess up, fess up. Dress up is about how we focus on watching for his return, how we prepare for that. Mess up is what we do so we don't mess up, but rather how do we prepare ourselves now? What do we do now for his return? And then fess up will be the shortest part of today, the shortest point of today, but it's important because it is a calling for us to proclaim the gospel until he returns. Dress up, mess up, and fess up. It's my prayer today that as we study this chapter, we are filled with this sense of urgency and the reality and the truth that Jesus is returning. And that news is the only urgent news that should be on the top of each of our daily to-do lists, as well as it should impact how we shape what else is on our daily to-do list. Please listen along and follow in your copy of God's Word or in the bulletin as I read from Luke chapter 12. Verse 35 to 48. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his uh, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did know and did what deserved the beating will receive a but the one who did not know and did, did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. It's the word of the Lord. So we look at the first point of today, dress up in verses 35 to 40. This stretch of chapters in Luke from 9 all the way later to chapter 19. This is the journey of Jesus as he returns back to Jerusalem. So on his journey back, Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, and we can see that he's attracted many to come and listen to him. 
specifically at the beginning of chapter 12, after Jesus has exited the home of the Pharisees and had the bulls of the Pharisees and the lawyers, we see that now many thousands had gathered. They gathered to the extent that they were trampling over each other. And so in his discourse, Jesus is teaching and giving warnings to the crowds. And then we see in last week's sermon, Jesus actually shifts his attention. And instead of just the crowds, he's directly teaching towards his disciples. That's what we also saw that Jesus was teaching his disciples not to be anxious, not to be consumed about what they eat or what they wear because the Lord provides for the ravens and the lilies. And so this week, Jesus gives a warning that you must be ready. And so this section of teaching isn't disjointed from last week's teaching. Jesus isn't jumping from one topic in another neatly with little titles in them, but they're actually connected. We have to look at the discourse in its entirety. And so last week, Jesus is drawing away the focus of his disciples on the wrong things. Don't focus on worldly materials. Don't focus on your daily needs. And this week, he's bringing them and pointing them to direct them to the right things to focus on, the eternal. He's emphasizing that they should place their concern and their attention on his return. And that's what they should be worried about, looking away from the temporary and focusing on the eternal. And so thinking about our first point of dress up, it means to be focused on and to be ready for Christ's return. And so we, how do we do that? And we see that Jesus explains it through two parables. The first parable, Jesus has an illustration of a master returning home from wedding feast. And the second parable, Jesus explains return like an owner of a home that's anticipating a thief. And so as we ponder this of how do we focus on watching for a return, we can see how it's played out in these two parables in two ways, to be ready and to be expecting. So again, let's look at verse 35 to 38. Stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, and be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and they will, he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds him away, blessed are those servants. So the first point here, be ready. We really should look here uh, at the ESV, but really we should look at the King James Version to get more of the literal translation of what this says. In the King James Version, it says, to let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And so this is the fashion of the, of the day. People back then, they wore these long tunics and they had garments. And so they had this long part of that reached all the way down to their knee. And so in order for the servants to be ready to serve, to run, or to do whatever it is, that they had to take this longer part of the tunic and then they tie it up in the waist and fasten it in the belt so that they would be very uh, agile. They'd be able to move about freely without worrying about tripping. So you can see that this is pretty impractical, and so the servants to be ready for action, they had to gird up their loins. So in the present day, you may hear the English slang that as well, gird up your loins, meaning that you're, you're preparing yourself to, to do something brave, or to do a challenge, or to go to battle. And so this phrase that Jesus uses here in his teaching also has historical significance. In Exodus 12, when the Lord is instructing Moses and Aaron regarding how to prepare for the Passover, this includes the preparation of, of the food 
And so also note that in the beginning of chapter 12, the Lord instructs them, well, in Exodus 12, that he instructs them to eat the bread without yeast. And it's a warning that Jesus has already alluded to earlier in Luke chapter 12, when he warns of uh, the leaven of the Pharisees, that the Pharisees are uh, hypocrites. And so at Exodus 12, verse 11, we see that the Lord instructs his people how to eat, that in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened or your loins girded, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And so you can see here, the belt of truth fastened also translates to having their, their loins girded in. And so Jesus makes that reference again here in Luke for his people to be ready. Just as God was preparing a way for the Israelites to lead them out of Egypt, they had to be ready at any time. Here, Jesus is saying that we need to be ready at any time again to be spiritually active, to be sharing, to be really ready to respond. So this important context and the theme of deliverance you can see in the Old Testament here again. And it comes up later again. The phrasing is seen in 1 Peter 1.13. Again, the King James Version says, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, telling us we need to be ready. We need to have ourselves prepared, dressed, and ready to go. The lamp's burning here also shows a state of readiness, but it also shows a sign of vigilance that they are constantly ready, constantly preparing. And so whereas the tucking of the tunic and girding up the loins, you can do that one time and tuck it in and fasten it and tighten it. Keeping the lights burning requires you to be constantly checking on the lamp, constantly making there's oil. And so there's a state of constant preparation until the master returns. So we should also be doing that, constantly keeping our check on our spiritual health. Not that we just accept Jesus, but that we're constantly checking how we're doing. We're constantly maintaining that, confessing our sins coming before the Lord as we wait for Jesus to return. So, are you ready? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus? Have you confessed to him and repented of your sins, turned your life over to him and seek to honor him? If not, I invite you to consider the state of your readiness for when Jesus returns. You can ask me, you can ask any of the elders or anyone that gave a prayer this morning if you have questions about it. For those of you that are ready, that have accepted Jesus, well, are you keeping your light shining? Are you doing that constantly now until he returns that you're ready? That you're constantly checking the oil, the spiritual health, and you're constantly bringing your light to be a light of this world as he has instructed us to do. And the second way at this point that we can focus is to be expectant. So the first one's ready, this one's expectant. <clears throat> so it's not only to be ready, but Jesus says that we should be like men waiting for their master to return from the wedding feast. And so these men are there waiting. These servants are waiting with eager expectation. The wedding ceremonies uh, back then were a little bit different than Western culture today. So now we usually have a ceremony or some sort of celebration that's going to be held at a banquet hall or a venue. And so at that time in Israel, it might actually be more similar to what Chinese traditional weddings look like where the grooms and the groomsmen will go to the house of the bride to, to retrieve her. And so I don't know in Israel, in the, in the culture back then, if they had the same pranks or the home models and things like that, but they still went to the home of the bride to collect her and bring her back. 
And so what would follow is that the groomsmen and the groom would take his bride back and then the wedding party would all follow along as well back to the groom's house. So when they went back to the groom's house, the wedding celebration continued. And so then these servants, the role of them is to wait for their master to come back. They weren't just ready for him to come back, but they were expected, they were excited for their master to return. And when the master returns, the servants would help prepare more feasting. They would be at work now <clears throat> getting things ready, getting the food ready to celebrate. But they would be excited to do so and pleased to serve their master and joining in this wedding celebration. And so as Jesus tells this parable, that's not actually how it goes. In fact, something extraordinary happens. What Jesus says in verse 37 is completely unexpected. Jesus says then that the servants that are found ready and awake when the master returns are blessed. So why are they blessed? Jesus says that truly that the master returns and he's going to dress himself and ready himself for service. When the master returns, he's not going to expect the servants to say, okay, well now get the food ready, serve me. But the master actually comes back. He girds up his loins and says, okay, I'm going to serve you because you have stayed awake and ready for my return. And so he gets himself ready and the servants themselves are allowed to sit and recline at the table. We often see that phrase, reclining at the table. Jesus reclines at the table. You know that this is a seat reserved for distinguished guests. This is a, uh, an honor to be able to even join in at the table. The servants, in most cases, aren't even allowed to come near to the table. They're just to serve and then step back away from the table. And so instead of just staying up to welcome and serve the master and his new bride, they actually are invited in. They're given the night off. They're invited in, but even more than that, they are given honorary seats at the table, and the master is there to serve them. And Jesus states this because this is a complete turning of the norms and the role of the servants, of the slaves at that time. That when the master returns, he comes and he overturns these socio-political norms, and he esteems the humble, he esteems those that are eagerly waiting for his return. And they're no longer slaves. Jesus is here not stating that they become masters either. It's not that the master has become a slave and the slaves have become masters. But what it is, it's a picture showing us that the love of the master, his compassion and his love for the slaves is so much that he removes their title of being slaves. That he allows them to join in with him in his reward. So he removed their position of slaves. He shows them compassion and that they are brought to be able to join in with that. So these are the servants that are eagerly waiting. These are the ones that are expecting their master to come back and excited. However, there is still uncertainty in the timing of his return. And so some of the servants may get tired. It says a second or the third watch, which all these times is how they broke up the, the evening. And so they would be in the middle of the night, midnight or even early a.m. hours. And so the master is going to return at a time that none of them know. But these servants that were ready and focused on watching for his return, they're the ones that are eagerly expecting, and they're the ones that will be sharing in with the master. And so Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7, that we are awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ as well, that we too should be eagerly awaiting or expecting the return of our master, the return of Jesus. And so are you ready? Are you expectant? And even more telling, are you excited for Jesus' return? Are you excited in a way that the master is coming back from a wedding ceremony, but then for you to be able to join in on that as well? 
And so this first parable here shows us the servants that were excited and they were ready for their master's return. But the second parable, however, shows us a more negative situation. And so for those that are not ready for Jesus' return, there is no celebration. And so Jesus states this in verses 39 to 40. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so the parable here changes the role of the master returning to now a thief that is breaking in. The same watchfulness and unpredictability exists. But not only that, there's now regrets in this tone for those that didn't foresee and so therefore didn't prepare for the, for the thief to come in. Oftentimes we hear the phrase, if I'd only known, if I'd only knew that, that you needed this, I would have prepared it for you. If I'd only were coming over, then I would have prepared some fruit or water for you. If I'd only known it was gonna to rain today, then I would have brought an umbrella, which it might rain later too as well. And so there is regret in here, in this tone as well, that there is time to make changes, there's time to be alert, but they didn't make any of those changes to protect their home, and now it's too, too late. And so the thief here is seeking not only just to come, but also to break in. This is something that would require not just the locking of the door or the, the match is, okay, well, I'm gonna lock it and then I'm just gonna go out. But the thief was coming in and nothing was stopping this thief. It's even implied here in the original language that this breaking in would be similar to, to digging through some of the walls. If you imagine the walls at that time, they weren't cement or, or um, the, the concrete that we have here, but they were uh, more of the, the dirt or other materials that were easier to be broken into. And so again, Jesus says in Revelation 16, 15, about himself, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And so you can see Jesus makes that illusion again, that he is coming. It's going to be a time that we're unexpected, but we need to be dressed. We need to be awake and ready again. And so if you are unprepared, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, again, you should be worried about the return of Jesus. The return of the Master in the first parable is expected, but still the time was unknown when the event would happen. The thief, for many, they didn't expect the thief to come at all. This was unexpected, and so then they can be left unprepared. And so his coming, if you do not know Jesus, will be like a thief in the night when you don't expect it, and there will be regrets at that point. And so at this point in, in the discourse, Jesus then tells them that they should be, what they should be focusing their attention on. And so he gives them this stern warning to the listeners to be ready. And so at this point, Peter's mind is a little bit troubled. He hears this, he hears this very scary warning from Jesus, and he feels like he needs to ask a clarifying question. He asks Jesus, Lord, is this parable for us, the disciples, or for all? And so this kind of question is often similar to when students ask in a class, is this going to be on the test? Is this something that I need to pay attention to, or are you just kind of saying it and, and I'll just kind of gloss over it? Do I need to pay attention to it? And so there's ambiguity of Jesus' response of the target audience. And so that is there, coupled with the lack of signifiers in Luke's writing. 
And so that allows for uncertainty. Who is this meant to hear these words? Is it for the disciples? Is it for the non-believers? And so what that does is that it allows us not to be just glossing over this part of the reading, uh, but that we have to take this account, this warning as important for ourselves as well. That's applicable to the original audience, but it's also applicable to us today. So Peter is worried, and so that's how we move on to our second point of mess up, which is what we should be doing to prepare for the return of Jesus so that we don't mess up. Again, verse 41 to 47. <clears throat> Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Notice here, again, Jesus in his typical teaching fashion doesn't directly give Peter an easy answer. He describes different types of people that will hear his message and how they will respond. And then he allows for Peter to decide for himself how he's going to respond to Jesus. And Jesus' answer, he addresses two types of people here, those that hear and respond to his word in obedience, and those that hear but still respond in disobedience to his will. And so Jesus responds in this way in order that, number one, he wants them to have a universal alertness for all listening. He wants the Jews, the Pharisees, the Gentiles, the scribes, he wants everyone to be hearing this message. So it's not just saying, now you disciples, or now you Pharisees, or you Gentiles, but that we should all be listening to this message. And to a highest importance and responsibility of the disciples, that those already called to Jesus, those have who's already the divine has been disclosed to, they do have an additional responsibility to be sharing, to have an additional responsibility to be bringing that truth now to others. And then number three, for the reader ourselves, back then as well as um, present day, to have that self-reflection, that we need to be self-examining ourselves in the kind of response that we give to Jesus when he calls us, the kind of response that Jesus requires. And so again, Jesus talks about another illustration with servants and slaves. And so under the Roman influence at this time, the servant or slave system was very common. And so many Jesus parables, he uses that and this illustration helps allow the listeners then to see just the uh, social and economical um, change and role that is disheveled because of what Jesus does. And so they know already the disadvantages of the slaves and how they have to adhere to their master's will. And Jesus here shows them how the master is able to take away that title. So again, we see two types of servants and how they respond, similar to how we saw in the beginning of today's passage. One that has heard the gospel, and they respond in faith, and then able to change. And then the other ones that hear the gospel, but then they continue to be unfaithful as well. And so the first part of the faithful manager is the one, he's the one that has been entrusted with much. 
And so you can see here that the faithful steward is responsible for fulfilling all the duties of his master's will, even when the master is absent. So you can think of the story of Joseph and Potiphar and how he's faithful, faithful to do all that was entrusted to him and that even more was given to him to be entrusted over. And so when the master is absent, the good and faithful servant is ready. They don't take it easy. They continue to do the duties that they've been entrusted to do until the master returns. And so we can see in this portion of the scripture, what are the marks of a faithful servant? And so the first one, there's three of them. The first one is caring. Here it says that the master has sent, has set the servant over his household. And so this household can also mean over the church, over other believers. It's a community within the household. And so the faithful servant is concerned about caring for this. And so especially as members, we are covenanted together, even when it's not convenient. Especially when it's not convenient at times. And if you come to church and say, oh, I feel welcome here, everyone's really nice, well, that's the community, that's the overall community of the church, and that's important. But then, if you're a member of a church and you feel that when you're down, others are there to comfort you, or that when you're burdened, they're there, or that sometimes you may be convicted of sin, or or rebuked, or, or uh, helped by others as a way to bring you to come before the Lord and repent. Well, that's co covenant. Those are the difficult parts of care. Those are the parts where you're not caring about how you feel today, but you're caring about the relationship of each member and their relationship with the Lord. The faithful steward here is concerned with matters of the church, of the household. The second one here is feeding so the second mark of the faithful servant here could be actually physically helping provide meals or provide other things for other members um, if they're sick or if there's a, a big life event and how to care for each other. But it can also mean about spiritual food and growth as well. And so finding opportunities to grow, to be exhorting each other with the word. This requires love. It requires wisdom and care as well and understanding. Because Jesus did say to give them their portion of food at the proper time. There's wisdom that is needed and necessary to do what you can do with others right now, but also not to hold back. And so in Colossians 3.16, Paul writes, us, uh, writes for us to, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so you can see that that is an important role of the faithful serving as well. And the last mark here we can see is planning to serve more. So caring and feeding and planning. Planning to serve more. And so you can see because of the servant's faith, he's rewarded and promoted to do even more, to have even more authority. And so it says again that this faithful servant will be in charge of even more of the master's possessions. So again, it does not show that the servant was given his own kingdom. The master didn't say, okay, great job. I'm going to let you have your own little mini kingdom now over here. But what the master does, well, let's join it together even more. <clears throat> I want you to continue this role of steward, and I want you to be in charge of even more of my possessions. And so the servant has shown that he is trustworthy, and he is thus entrusted to even more. So in contrast to this, we can see, again, just like the first pair of parables that we saw where the master... The servants were eagerly waiting the master, uh, and those that weren't ready, it would be more of a thief in the night. Jesus' return would be a thief in the night. Here, Jesus shows again the negative flip side of those who 
listen, but then refuse to get ready for those that refuse to listen to the Lord. And so in verses 45 to 47, we again can see three marks of the evil or the disobedient servant. So the first mark of the disobedient servant is they distrust the master. Distrust. So they distrust the master in order to justify their own actions. And so the evil uh, steward justifies they're impatient and they say, my master is delayed in coming. This servant is wicked. He places the blame on the master. Well, it's your fault. You're taking so long to get back here. And so I'm going to have to do the following things myself to occupy my time. And so the servant is wicked in that they blame the master, they distrust the master, and then they justify their own sin and deeds. And so because the master has not returned yet, this evil servant takes advantage of the master's grace. And he's mistaken the current absence of his master for indifference. He thinks that the master, because he's not here, he doesn't care. That what I do, there won't be any consequences. Do we mistake the Lord's grace or the Lord's absence for indifference? Do we feel like the Lord doesn't care, the Lord doesn't listen, and so therefore I'm justified to do or think these things? Do we take that as a license to sin? The second mark here is abuse, as in the abuse of power, and actually literally he abuses the others, the people. So the faithful servant made sure that each member in the household received food and nourishment, but then this one, you can see here, withholds that. And not only does he withhold that, but he actually physically harms them, beats his male and female servants. And so this servant had the chance. They heard the gospel. They heard the master's call. But then instead of listening and obeying, they decide to ridicule or persecute the ministers of the gospel. And so the evil servants forget that within their church that even the relationships that we have are gifts from the master. That all of them are servants. All of them are servants to the same master. But that this evil servant has forgotten that their relationship with the other servants are important as well. That they gossip or slander or physically harm and think badly of others without realizing the gift of what he has already been given from the Lord. And the third mark here of a, of a sinful or evil steward or servant is indulgence. Indulgence of self. And it says here they eat and they drink and they get drunk. And so this is the exact opposite of stewardship. So he uses the master's possessions for his own pleasure rather than to use them to honor and glorify the master as he was commanded to do. And so what's the opposite of stewardship? What's the opposite of that? Is it unstewardship? No, it's ownership. And in this case, it's false ownership. That instead of being a steward of saying, well, these are things entrusted to me by the master, by the Lord, we think, well, these are things that he's given to me, and I can do whatever I want with them, and I can indulge myself in them. And so this evil servant acts as if he owns all of that truly, all of that, all of this that truly belongs to the master. And so do we think certain parts of our lives are my own? This is my time, Lord. I worked so hard this week. I went to Bible study. I did this. And now I just need a little bit of my time. This is my money, Lord. I give you tithe. I give the church tithe. This is my time, my money. God, I serve you so much and follow you all the time, but I just need a little bit of time. So you can see that is the indulgence of the evil servant. And so what happens to that evil servant? Well, the master is eventually going to return. 
Jesus will return. And as you already stated uh, earlier today in the first few parables, that it's going to be at a time unexpected. It's going to be a time when the evil servant has, may have already proved that Jesus isn't coming back, that he's unexpected to return. And just as the doomsday clock that we talk about is ticking down and counting down to when catastrophe will happen, the return of Jesus will be a catastrophe, will be resulting in the judgment and punishment of the unfaithful. Unfortunately, it's not a time that we can predict or count down. So the return of Jesus is seen in today's reading from Revelation. We read today Revelation 19, verses 11 and 16. And you can see some of the description of when Jesus returns. That his eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. Coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike out the nations, he will rule them with an iron scepter. So you can see that the Jesus that we see in the children's storybooks now, the pictures that we see, of a gentle, smiling Jesus with usually a, a lamb or sheep on his shoulders, this is the same Jesus as the one that is returning. And at that time, he is here to judge. He is here to punish those that have been unfaithful servants. The punishment is quite severe. The sinner is cut into pieces. So they put them even in the same category as the unfaithful. The unrepentant sinner who did... Uh, who did the sins intentionally and knowingly, they will face hell with others that also didn't believe, did not believe and did not follow Jesus. And so it's going to be a place of punishment and torment and of being beaten. And so this punishment is separation from believers, but it's separation from Jesus from God. So what about us? How are we now in this time of waiting for Jesus to return? Since we're all here, gathered together. We have heard the gospel. We're able to hear the good news. We have access to the Bible to see the truth. And so then it comes down to our hearts and the Spirit's work. How are we responding to the gospel? Are we in obedience? Are we in defiance? How are we with stewarding with what he has given us? Usually when we think of stewardship, we think of the resources we have. If we think of time or we think of money. We did talk about last, week, uh, last time about giving tithe and so that it's not just about giving that 10%, but it's about the hard attitude about the worship. Are we considering justice, faithfulness, mercy? Are we considering the love of God when we give? But after that, he still wants to know and have you accountable for the other 90% of that as well. And then time, how often are we spending our time? How do we spend our time? Are we using it in a way that honors him? Are we using it in a way that we can see, oh, I had three hours of screen time each day last week. What were those three hours used, or even more, five hours of screen time? But just as important as those two, you also have to think about your relationships, about your thought life, about your attitudes. These are also entrusted to you as a steward. Are you greedy with your relationships? Are you selfish with your relationships? Are you stingy with your attitude towards others? Do you think badly of other people? Give yourself complete grace and complete judgment on others in the church. The last point of today is fess up, apostrophe F-E-S-S, or to confess. And so in this case, it can be also to profess, to confess the truth of the Gospels for those that have not yet heard it. And also to remember that there is an urgency of this, the timing to do this now before Jesus returns. And so in verse 48, we see again the second group of those that are unable to follow the law. 
extends out actually to another group, those that do not have opportunity to hear. These are the ones that have not heard or gained as much knowledge of the word. And of course, they're still sinners that we all inherently are. But oftentimes, they're still sinners through ignorance. Verse 48 says, But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. It tells us a few things here. It tells us that the holy standard of God is without exception. That salvation is only through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But it also shows here that the amount of what has been given or entrusted to a believer will also need to be accounted for when Jesus returns. And so it is not our place to decide how, judge, how God judges. It is not our place to decide how God will hand out punishment. What this verse tells us is that it requires us to view the punishment of God with humility, that it is only up to his will to decide how much each of the servants will be entrusted with and how much of a beating each of his servants will be given. And so we need to take this and have a self-examination of ourselves again, that higher standards will be demanded of those who have heard more. And by those who have been given greater gifts and more abilities, more will be expected of them. And so we need to be taking this part of Scripture combined with what we heard earlier, that we need to be ready. We need to be preparing for Jesus' return, meaning that we need to utilize and stewarding well these gifts now before he returns for his glory. So Jesus directs this question at those that hear and his disciples to say that if they have heard the gospel and received his teaching, then they have that responsibility and duty to continue to fess up to confess that Jesus is Lord to others so that others can hear the truth of the gospel. And so how are we at doing that? How excited are you to do that? Oftentimes, I feel like we're excited when we expect something and we know when it's going to arrive. In the workplace, when you know that it's Friday and that's almost five o'clock, that's the end of the work week. How excited are you to talk about that with other people? Coworkers seem to be in a better mood. We say to each other, TGIF, and you kind of smile and say, happy weekend. There's an even better weekend coming for us. There's an even better prize for us to come. How excited are we to be saying that to each other, to remind each other about that, but then to tell others that do not know. We should be reminding each other and spurring each other on to Jesus and his return. Even though the timing of when Jesus returns is unknown to us, we do see today from verse 40 that he is returning and that we are to be fessing up. We are to be confessing with our lips so that all may hear the good news of the gospel. So we should conclude. So today's scripture coupled with last week's really shows and it should convict and warn us about how we are spending our time, where we're putting our worry and concern, where we're putting our focus. How often are we waiting for the wrong things? How often are we waiting and distracted by things that are not significant from an eternal perspective? Even as believers, we get bogged down with the day-to-day, -day, just like the disciples here are questioning Jesus. We're concerned with things of now, worldly needs and worldly concerns. We find ourselves in our prayer lives really praying for these things instead of the kingdom. 
what are we waiting for? Do we wait for job conditions to get better? Are we waiting for uh, praying for a, a husband or a wife? Or, or are we excited for the next holiday, for a Christmas present, for a birthday party? Are we excited for these things? We wait and we put so much of our focus and emphasis on oftentimes the wrong things. And as we're waiting, are we caring for the church? Are we being faithful stewards and servants? Or are we being evil ones? Do we care for the church or do we only care about ourselves? Are we feeding others the word and spiritual truth or are we only feeding ourselves and indulging ourselves? The doomsday clock is ticking. But it's not ticking down because of some human catastrophe. It's not uh, ticking down because of some nuclear war that's going to happen to a time that we can predict or know. The only one that knows the end is the Father. In Mark 13, 32, it says, Not even the angels nor the Son know of the end. And God is a holy God. He will punish sin. But for now, he is showing us mercy in his delay for Jesus to return. That he's showing us his patience. We may grow weary. We may grow tired in this world. We see sin, disease, and wars, and suffering, and injustice. We cry out, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? But actually, again, we see that God cares. God listens, and he wants us to be focused on the return of Jesus. To understand how we should continually be ready for his return and not regret it when it's too late. And that he's showing us his mercy. He's showing us his grace now by waiting on the return of Jesus. He has not returned yet in order to allow for many more to repent, many more to come before Jesus. And so we prepare. We prepare to be ready by sharing the gospel and allowing many others to hear so that they can be ready as well for Christ's return. Because ultimately, when Jesus returns, at that point, it's too late. Because the end of this world is coming. But it isn't the end. It's only the beginning of eternity. And we need to be ready. Let's pray. Lord God, our hearts are torn. Lord, we want to see him return. We know the state of this world. And know that you are the only one that can make all things new. We also know, Lord, that your love for your creation, for your people, means that you desire for many to accept Jesus as their Savior before he returns. Lord, turn our hearts, help us to turn away from the temporary. Lord God, help us to focus on the eternal. We seek to be the good and faithful servants that aren't focused on the short term. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.